Can we talk something else? Can, can we talk about something else? Hello. Out there. Florida is known for its oranges, especially the jumpsuits. The orange prison jumpsuit, a fraternal gown worn by many a Florida woman, a Florida man, Ted Bundy, Eileen Warnos, the prom king and queen of serial killing, both graduated from the Florida State Prison System in a puff of incinerator smoke following their respective executions. Ranked third behind Alaska and Nevada, Florida has long been a hotbed for serial killers. Maybe it's the weather, certainly it's the people, but in Florida, your chances of ending up brutally murdered by a man with three names is unusually high, even higher if you live in a prison with them. One of the many problems with being a prisoner in a maximum security facility in Florida is that you might end up in a cell with a voracious killer. And if you haven't studied up, haven't learned how to elicit fear or how to charm, to endear, well, then you become a sucker like 27-year-old Nicholas Anderson, a terrified white boy and during the first quarter of his 20-year sentence for child molestation. 20 years is a fuckload of years for molesting kids. I mean, that's a... He did something fucked up, and I can't find out exactly what it was because kids are involved. 20 years? What'd you do, Nicholas? In his 2017 mugshot, his final photograph, Nicholas looks like he has a gun to his back and would rather... It's a bee in his mouth. It's a haunting image. A reminder not to ruthlessly force yourself sexually upon children. He, like his victims, clearly wanted his mommy. And I don't blame Nicholas, considering who his recently assigned cellmate had been. Welcome to Dark Topic. I'm your host, Jack Luna. This is a true crime happening. The Ultimatum Killer. The Florida State Prison System had a budding serial killer on its hands back in 2012. Most of the killers in there, convicted of serial killing, had already got their shit done. But Rocky was still on his way. Rocky Beeman, a large, imposing man in his prime when... Sentenced to life for a brutal murder, likely he had killed before, but the books only showed a tally of one. And what's a killer to do? A wolf, locked up and penned away from the sheep of society, Rocky Beeman. Could have been in pictures, he looks like the classic bad guy, a brawny, forever furrow brow shading those heated eyes. Movements like that of a spider. Long legs, torso, arms, neck, all roped with lean muscle. His face, the definition of a mug, 
A mug that drinks everything in, with predatory intelligence obvious in the eyes. A disregard for fear in the set of his jaw. Rocky Beeman. Doesn't act tough. Doesn't need to as he adjusts his reading glasses and runs long, strong fingers over a tanned scalp. He surveys his surroundings to calculate how much danger everyone else is in. Some inmates don't need to put on a front. They are exactly what they are and where they need to be. Animals in a cage. I've met a lot of frauds in my life. Liars, thieves, people who play victim as a way to keep their victimization of people alive. And Rocky Beeman, besides being an animal, and despite him not having to put up a front to scare the scariest human beings on the planet, was a fraud. In 2012, when Rocky gets up to follow fellow inmate 44-year-old Brian Hunsecker into the showers, Rocky isn't on a mission from God to kill a violent child rapist as he'd like to think he is. He's on a mission to clean his own conscience for his own despicable crimes and have a little fun in the process. Hunsecker's secrets are no longer safe in an age where the internet keeps track of pedophiles. If it's not a guard looking you up, it's the inmates themselves, through family members or a smuggled cell phone, and Rocky Beeman has the skinny on Brian Hunsicker as a result. Hunsicker has made a fucking terrible mistake in owing Rocky money. And besides him being a fucking pedophile, it's how he became a stocking victim over the previous weeks, leading to this fateful summer's late afternoon of 2012. A year the world was supposed to end. You remember that? Though maybe the world did end. And we're just ghosts having dreams and nightmares. Mostly nightmares. Though this smartphone's pretty slick, and this big screen TV that cost me 500 bucks, hey, maybe it's heaven. In hell. And maybe that's the way it is in hell. You convince yourself that it's not so bad. The same way in prison, you convince yourself it's not so bad to get through until you kill yourself. For Brian Hunsicker, he may as well have been in hell for what he'd done molesting a five-year-old, then climbing in through the window of an Orlando home to rape a ten-year-old girl at knife point. God knows how many more there'd been. Thousands of neatly folded children's clothes were found in his home following arrest, then sentencing to six life terms before being exiled here in a place where his kind are barely protected by guards and widely rejected by inmates even a low-down, dirty bastard, like Rocky Beeman. Rocky Beeman, who follows Brian Hunsecker into the starkly lit common area and then into the relative dimness of the showers with a shank and stabs him over 80 times. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, multiplied by eight. And as he stabs, he's choking Hunsecker to keep his squeals of terror from alerting anyone. Not that anyone cared much to know what the killer was doing to the child rapist in the shadows of hell just before chow time. Rocky would finish Hunsicker off, then sit down to eat and barely react when the alarm finally sounded. In fact, when he was done eating Hunsicker's pudding cup, he turned himself in. Take me away, boss. I hear they got their own TVs on death row. 
but instead it was the whole, and another life term, which means dick all, to a guy already serving one, no death row, which he wanted. Apparently, killing a child rapist wasn't quite enough for Florida. He'd have to kick it up a notch to achieve his goal of being executed by the state. And let me make this clear. Rocky Beeman is serving a life term, kills this man, hoping to get to death row. Beeman wants to die. He wants to also be in a situation where he has heard that it's better. On death row, because you're about to be killed at any given moment, usually it's about two decades or never, you get treated a little bit better. And he wants to be alone in case hmm, he gets the idea that uh, maybe he wants to kill himself without anybody saving him quick. Rocky Beeman had been on a mission to die since he'd seen his mother break down in his hearing for a crime we'll now visit. And if two murders weren't enough, he'd just have to make it three. But we'll get to that. Three being the tally needed to be considered a serial killer and to qualify as a monthly monster. Congratulations, Rocky. Anyways, let's get to how Rocky lost his soul. February 6th, 2005. Rocky is an apt name for the then 27-year-old crack fiend. He can't get enough of it. For a young Rocky Beeman, there's nothing better than bacon in the sun by a dumpster, melting a crack rock into his lungs via an old beer can. It might not look like he's in heaven, but every 15 minutes or so, as long as he's got a bag of rocks, Rocky Beeman is beaming, grinning ear to ear, lips tight so the hit can't leave until he's done with it. Then, a cloud of sickly sweet silver smoke explodes from his joyous face, a face that immediately begins to reshape, back to its usual mean misery. And I wasn't there, but I've been there. <laughs> you ever seen a madman get clear? Just put a crack rock on a bed of ashes, on top of, get this fucking fly out of here, on top of a beer can with an indent in it, poke a bunch of holes in that fucking can. Put the ashes on top of those holes, you know, plunk a crack rock on top of it, and put it in his face. And you make a mean man <sighs> clear for a moment, and then meaner than ever. Five to ten minutes later, he can't get enough, and nothing will stop him from finding a way to stay high, Rocky Beeman. Crack is a selfish drug that is particularly dangerous when consumed by naturally selfish people and naturally selfish people tend to be drawn to drugs like crack rocky is deeply selfish and his girlfriend karen doesn't mind this much as she's one of his possessions and it feels good to be protected on these streets karen will do anything he wants follow his lead into the darkest of alleys and fucking rocky loves walking down dark alleys He's one of those types, I remember hanging out with these guys where it'd be like, uh, hey, you gotta be careful out there. It's like, I'm the one that you are telling me to be careful of. So don't fucking worry about me. <laughs> That's Rocky. And despite all of Rocky's anger and violence and selfishness, he's a force in these dark alleys. And when your life is empty, save the constant 
sickness of fear that I imagine uh, girls that are attracted to men like Rocky are, the girl like Karen Wilkins, a man like Rocky can make you feel good. He can fix that feeling of helplessness by taking you so deep into the darkness that it envelops you like a warm shawl of hate. Karen will end up serving 30 years for three days in the dark with Rocky. And it's kind of worth it somehow. At least when they were high, it seemed so. And God, they were fucking high. For a crackhead, the rock can never be big enough. A boulder of crack in a room full of fiends has as much chance as a sugar cube stuffed in an anthill. Rocky and Karen got their boulder of crack, and they melted together with it in exchange for the life of Debbie Lacey. Debbie was an acquaintance whom they were smoking with one afternoon in February of 2005. It happens. You know, Debbie was a young mother and close to her family and friends, but she liked to get high on occasion. And when she went missing, she was missed. And maybe because Rocky and Karen had been so deep in the darkness of their addiction, they just assumed everything, everyone, was lost, like they were. But Debbie wasn't like them. Debbie just liked to get high on occasion take a break from her responsibilities. She had a job, she had a life, she had a car. She didn't make much money, but the little that she made. See, this is a thing with drug addicts often that a lot of people don't know that haven't been drug addicts. It's like, fuck, yeah, oh, what? You, you just took a trip to the Caribbean and uh, had all-you-can-eat dinners all week? Oh, what, your, 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 your mom gave you uh, their old SUV and uh, gave you a little bit of money to go to college and... Uh, if you fucking run your debt a little bit, they're going to fucking re-up it and all that. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Why, why don't you just go on the straight and narrow? Because nobody is helping me to go on that straight and narrow. So when I do my work to get myself in a respectable position, I don't have enough money to go on these fucking vacations. Drugs are a type, are a very cheap option for a vacation. You could spend five hours on crack and it'll cost you like $300, and you've gone on a vacation. And it, it's sick, and it's dirty, and it's nasty, but within, in the first four hours of that, of smoking crack and hanging out by a fucking lake with some people just talking your shit, you feel like you are on a vacation, you know? Um, that everything's great and and you're talking about all the things that you want to do and all the things that you've been through all the things you can relate to with the people that you're smoking the crack with because they're fucked up like you are else they wouldn't be smoking crack and um it's a nice little break anyways what's with all these fucking people in the background having a conversation on my street i'm hearing voices in my head man let's keep going she had a car you know, and the three are getting high up by Mirror Lake in St. Petersburg. Debbie had driven them out there. Uh, she split on some crack with them. She knew they could get it, right? She probably, uh, I don't know this for certain, but she probably knew Karen. And uh, f- what's his name? Fucking Rocky is long for the ride, right? And they take, uh, Debbie picks them up in the Lincoln Continental and drives them out to Mirror Lake in St. Petersburg. And they're just smoking crack. Uh, in the car right beside the lake there and while they do you know Rocky he's 
probably the focus, the interest throughout the session. He's chatty, charming, knowledgeable, and easy to be drawn to when he's in a good mood. But once the drugs run out, as they always have to, once the pipe is scraped and the ashes are repurposed to glean one more taste, that's the fucking worst. Let me smoke a cigarette here while these fucking morons talk outside. You probably can't hear that. It was freaking me out. The, um... I only stopped doing drugs, hard drugs, like crack, coke. Three years ago, the other reason I stopped is because my buddy got clean. And I was like, okay, cool, whatever. Like, I don't need to really be doing this anyways. But he would kind of stop by and be like, hey, you want to go get high? I'd be like, yeah. You know, so if no one's stopping by my place saying, hey, you want to go get high? I'm not going to do it. I'm not I'm not the one who initiates it. I like going along for the ride. I I like a break from the monotony, this vacation that I'm speaking about. And I'll spend five hours and $500 to uh, feel free within that span of time. But you feel fucking lost afterwards, don't you? You feel so fucking lost and empty. And then that's the, uh, that's the danger point. That's when you can become an addict is when you think that you need to get back there. I never felt like I needed to get back there. I just felt ashamed. But then he'd show up again. And, uh, you know, we keep going. I'd pay for most of it. All of it, actually. I'm just trying to take the edge off of how fucking bad it was. And, uh, he'd be back at his place getting it ready. I'd show up, and he's already smoking it. He's turned the coke into crack, and he's smoking rocks. He's like, hey, is this okay? I'm like, I guess it is, because you're doing it. has to be, because you're doing it. What am I going to do, slap you on the fucking wrist? Like, you already smoked, like, uh, $100 worth of it. Give me uh, three lines to catch up. Boom, fucking hit three massive lines of coke. Do, do, do. Risk of my life in these, this day and age with fentanyl possibly involved. And then we'd sit around and just talk about our childhoods. <laughs> And then we talk about our um, way of getting away from that, our future. It was never about the present. It was always about our childhoods, our damage, or about the future, about what we're going to do. And I could imagine in this moment that uh, the three of them smoking crack by the lake there, by Mirror Lake at St. Petersburg, are talking about the same type of shit. Um, Rocky's likely in good spirits until the drugs ran out, like I said. And I, really the purpose, the, the point there, the reason I really trailed off there is like when it's gone, you have the ashes. So, so you put, you flick ashes from your cigarette into the pipe. Say it's just a regular marijuana pipe, okay? There's plenty of pipes, so let's just go with this. Actually, let's go with this, exactly what it was. An asthma inhaler uh, with a piece pulled out, right? And then you put a foil into the suction point opposing where you're going to be sucking in, right? And then you poke holes in that, and then you flick cigarette ash in that as a bed for the crack rock. And we had cocaine, so so you would mix that with baking soda and a little bit of water and heat it up and then cool it down, usually put it in the freezer to speed up the process, scrape it up into a little ball, a little rock, and that's a really condensed fucking hit of cocaine called crack. And then you put the crack into onto that bed of ashes, as I explained, and you fucking hit that thing, and any worries you ever had, I mean, your whole fucking life goes away. Your whole brain just 
burns all the fucking stress and anxiety and hair on your fucking brain just burns away. I've always pictured it that way. You know when you light your sock? When you're a kid, you light your sock on fire and all the fuzz would light off? That's what it's like. To, it feels like to your brain when you, when you hit a rock and crack cocaine. But 15, and, and you talk, talk, talk. You don't remember what you're talking about. You're probably just talking about yourself or fucking bullshit. And then, oh, 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 oh I need more. And then by the end of the night, I mean, you're like rummaging around the floor, like looking for like little pieces. You're like putting pieces of lint together and, and molding them together and hoping that, oh, that looks like there might be something on that. And you're just like, and you're pushing all the ashes together and you're re-smoking the ashes that the crack melted through to get something off of those old ashes. All right, everybody, Badlands food. I've been thinking about getting a dog with my little family. We are about to introduce a dog, I believe, at some point here. And I have an interest in how we're going to be treating said dog. And it occurs to me, you know, that many dogs suffer from health issues. And with Badlands food, actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health. She's looking at their food. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that by just adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. It caught my attention, and as I'm about to uh, get a dog, I think that I'm going to uh, use this service, so I thought I'd share it with the audience as well. Uh, I know many of you have dogs. If you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com slash darktopic and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D.com slash dark topic to check it out. Badlandsfood.com. All right, everybody. Zipix toothpicks. This is something that I use all the time. So this episode is brought to you by Zipix nicotine toothpicks. Zipix brings you a totally satisfying, convenient, and great tasting way to curb your nicotine cravings. Now you can get your nicotine fix anytime, anywhere without having to rely on smoking or vaping. Zipix toothpicks give you an easier, better, and more discreet way to get your fix. They're available in six great long-lasting flavors, and they have options in 2 milligrams and 3 milligrams of nicotine. Zipix are perfect for flights, sporting events, restaurants, podcasting, <laughs> uh, literally anywhere that you smoke or vape where that's banned. They're also one of the most cost-effective nicotine products on the market. Zipix also offers caffeine and B12 infused toothpicks if you're not a nicotine user or if you're trying to get away from your nicotine habit. Zipix have already helped tens of thousands of customers, including myself, to get their nicotine fix without needing to inhale smoke or vape oils. Make your lungs happy and try Zipix nicotine infused toothpicks. So ditch the cigarettes, ditch the vape, and get some nicotine infused toothpicks at zipixtoothpicks.com today. Get 10% off your first order by using the code DARKTOPIC at checkout. Your lungs will be glad you did. Must be 21 years of age or older to order. Warning, nicotine is an addictive chemical. Zip more, smoke less with Zipix. Nicotine toothpicks. 
I remember when I did it with my dad and, and his, um, we would, uh, how did he do it? Oh, there'd be the scrapings of the Coke before, before you <laughs> uh, cooked it into crack. And he would dump a little bit of um, uh, nail polish remover onto the whole situation. And then he'd light that on fire. And what would be left would be like this weird residue that he would scrape. And half of it is just pure poison. But there's a little bit of cocaine left in that. And then they'd, we'd smoke that. It just... Nasty shit, man. I'm glad I'm away from it. But don't show up to my house with a fucking few rocks because... Uh, we're gonna take a fucking vacation for five hours. I'm that weak. Anyways, the three are getting high. They run out. And Rocky's a maniac. He looks around, he sees the vehicle that they're in. How can I get more dope? Oh, this bitch has a real nice car. I'm gonna kill her. And he smashes Debbie Lacey over the back of the head with a piece of wood. I don't know exactly what it was. Maybe it was a branch or something like that. But Rocky's a big fucking guy. Like, he, he's not, not like, uh, stout. You know, he's not, he's not built. Like, he's, uh, he's one of those thin, ropey kind of guys. Very strong. And he smashes her over the back of the head, tall, uh, mean as shit. And she's nearly unconscious. Uh, perhaps the cocaine keeps her aware more than she should be. Uh, and then Rocky ties her hands and feet behind her with something. I guess, I don't know. I, I don't know if this part's true because, I mean, what could he have possibly grabbed? What, shoelaces? I don't think he would have needed to even tie her up. But this is the story that I have. I picture him just grabbing her along with Karen to throw Debbie into the lake when she's semi-conscious and watch her as she glug, 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 fucking drown, dies. And they run off with the Lincoln, you know? And Debbie, she's missed. It takes only a few days for police to find her a Lincoln Continental. Uh, it's in the possession of some young men who, after hearing they're in the vehicle of a murdered young mother, just pulled from Mirror Lake. Uh, and they reflect on whether they prefer to be in prison or be snitches and soon decide to share the name of the man who sold them the Lincoln Continental in exchange for crack cocaine, Rocky Beeman. And Rocky Beeman and his ride-or-die Karen Wilkins, both in their late 20s, just like Debbie had been, uh, they find him, and, and what he'd done is he had traded Debbie's life for a small boulder of crack cocaine. And in court, after the victim impact statements, which were screamed at them, Debbie's family was fucking irate. They were so fucking mad. I mean, as any any family would be, but it, this, when I was reading the court reports, this one stood out in a lot of the court reports that I've read when it comes to victim impact statements. Usually it's fairly subdued and they're nervous and all that. The family is just fucking going bananas on them. Uh, her child is there. And... Um, after the impact statements are, are read and the judgments of life terms for each of them are handed down, Karen Wilkins, she, she apologizes, you know, numbly. She's not high no more. She's, you know, she's not able to do much else but apologize. You know, she says, what had come over me? She can't explain. The shawl of hate that she'd been shrouded in, that had warmed her in the shadows with Rocky, had been replaced by an orange jumpsuit. And Rocky stayed stone-faced through this sentencing, through the berating from the, from the victim families and all that. He was appearing to be hard and horrible and heartless throughout. 
until at the end when he turned to see his mother weeping. And he saw that. And uh, from what I read, he... This... Picture Frankenstein. Native American Frankenstein. Right? And, And picture the face of... You know that kid from Stranger Things? With the kind of the weird mouth and all that, very talented kid. But you know what I, the kid that I mean, right? The weird kind of mouth. Uh, there's something going on there. Um, he his chin starts to quiver and, and and his eyes open wide and 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 he begins to cry and he's being dragged into the courtroom and this stone cold monster throughout. At the, at the point of seeing his mother weeping, uh, this crackhead, this this selfish fucking maniac, throughout his whole you know 20s um he he cracks and uh he's weeping as as they pull him out and when he's he in prison rocky beeman he's like i deserve to die i mean he's sober for the first time in years he realizes he had wasted not only his life but ruined others in the process again he's sobering up he's he's out of the spell he's out of the darkness he's under the bright fluorescent lights of this prison. He's fucking haunting this prison too, by the way. He is a force. And, you know, without the the drugs to shield his heart, which turns out to be a fairly warm heart, the heart's breaking. In prison, it would take him seven years to find a way to feel human again. Rocky, he knows that he deserves this, and he suffers, like many men in prison do. I mean, but the impression I get of Rocky is that he's not claiming he didn't do this. He's just like, man, I feel like I've been underneath a spell. And I was this fucking maniac. And I got hooked on drugs. And I ended up killing this woman for more crack cocaine. And I've broken my mother's heart. And I've hurt all these people. And now I want to I wanna die. But also, I want to make amends first. You know, the plan was to kill himself. But there always seemed to be a guard, a group of prisoners around, and there also was like this thing in him that was saying, no, I need to atone uh, for my sins somehow. He wants a cell on death row. He wants a place to feel he was being properly punished. He wants to know that death is coming. He doesn't have this with his life sentence in prison. Um, so he comes up with a plan, a way to somehow make it all square. That's when he kills his second. Brian Hunsicker, the child rapist in the showers, he does it very slowly. Those stab wounds, you, you picture 80 fucking stab wounds com- coming like panic, right? Like fast, 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 fucking again. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, come on, man, 80? But he does it slowly in the showers. And he makes sure in his mind that God sees it. And when this is done, and he goes to chow time, and he's 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 brought in. He admits to it, and he's hoping he'll be sentenced to death and put on death row. <sighs> he's not. So Rocky Beebe's back in the system, right back in the same place that he was. And a few years later, he decides to take his third, qualifying him as a serial killer, uh, and finally qualifying him for death row. January 22nd, 2017. Nicholas Anderson, the child molester serving 20 years for the lowest crime in the totem pole of respect in prison, 
is assigned to be cellmates with Rocky Beeman, and I mentioned Nicholas in the beginning. Uh, his last mugshot I spoke about in the intro, it's, it's worth seeing. So I've made it the cover image for this episode. You know, look at that guy. That is the face of a child molester who's been sleeping in the same room as a man that slowly and torturously murdered another child molester a few years back. And you know, I gotta say, I hate to say it really, but I feel a little bit sorry for him. That obviously is not easy to feel. Sorry for a child molester. And I want to feel it, but I do. Anything at the mercy of something else is pitiful. And you know, wait, that's it. That, I feel pity for him. I'm not sorry, but I do feel pity for old man Nicholas, who despite his young looks, he's only 27. He's old in that photo. He's an old man in his age. He's about to die. He's a dead man walking, like Rocky Beeman strives to be. Nicholas is a gift. How the Florida prison system placed a child molester with a murderer of a child molester is beyond me. But despite it being unfair, nobody seems to be picketing. No justice for Nicholas posters with that child molesting face bouncing around on sticks in front of the courthouse. There's just crickets. <laughs> and that's understandable, you know. But even once it was done, once Rocky rolled out of his bunk late at night and slowly strangled Nicholas with a sheet, enjoying the kill, dragging it out just to be sure once again that God was watching before he slit his celly's throat, even then, the system refused Rocky death row. So, Rocky wrote a letter. You see, the thing, the thing about him wanting death row... I, I'm cutting in a lot here. The thing about him, he wants it to be over. He wants to feel like he's being punished appropriately, knowing that death is coming, knowing that he has to be put to death for what he's done. It ab absolves him in a way of his sins. He doesn't think that he's he's worth from, from breaking his mother's heart uh, as a result of killing uh, Debbie Lacey in this, this horrific fashion. He doesn't feel like he should just be able to like sit around and read books and uh, appeal his fucking you know sentencing, uh, be paroled possibly in the future. He's like, come on, man, kill me. You know I'm fucking shit. And if you won't kill me, I'm gonna use my time productively in killing child molesters. And he writes this letter. He writes it to the judge who presided over this most recent killing, and he promised this judge, Christopher Patterson, that if he weren't sent to death row. He would dedicate the next one to this judge. Rocky promised to carve the judge's name into the next child molester's chest. And guess what? That's apparently how you get things done in Florida. That is, if your goal is to be executed. Besides the chilling threat to the judge, Rocky had written, quote, I will continue to take lives until someone in here takes mine or I reach my goal. Death row. So please send me there. I'll do my best to eliminate every single child molester until one of three things happens. One, someone kills me. Two, I run out of people to kill. Or three, they put me where I can kill no more. Death row. I've actually dreamed of the way I'll kill my next victim. End quote. On June 10th of 2020, in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic and while quietly sitting in his cell on death row, pleased and proud of his recent accomplishment, Rocky Beeman 
decides that the wheels of justice once again are just too slow for his liking. He's a man of action, a force after all, and when the time was right, he strapped together some bed sheets and strangled himself to death. Off into the darkness, once again for Rocky Beeman. And what a strange process the sorting out of his soul must have been for whatever met him there. Two wrongs don't make a right, but how about three? You never know, Rocky, you never know. And though it's hard to admit, there's part of me that hopes Rocky's out there somewhere in the sky, creating silver clouds of crack smoke, checking souls like tickets at the gates to some heathenish version of heaven, you know, crackhead heaven. And I'm just fucking around. I mean, Rocky Beeman was a, he became a serial killer in prison. It doesn't matter that his last two victims were scum. Rocky fancied himself a soldier of God. A soul once lost in the dark that journeyed into the light with a shank and a bed sheet repurposes a garrot to set his soul straight. And maybe he did. I haven't smoked. I am going to smoke a cigarette. I haven't spoken much about this. But I spent a good eight months financing the therapy of Jason Vukovic. The Alaskan Avenger, notoriously known as a pedophile hunter. I spent almost $10,000 worth of therapy. That's your money, you know, and I, and I appreciate it. Um, I put that towards Vukovic's therapy, and I haven't said anything. This is at tier 13, because I, I'm a believer in, you know, a, a good deed uh, being null if used to promote yourself. And I hope that's not taken this way here. This, the, the reason why I'm sharing this is because it has something to do with this story. Um, I spent all this money on the therapy and uh, I was committed to it until I realized that the therapist that we'd hired was a scumbag. She was a fucking scumbag. She wasn't even a real therapist. And, you know, Jason was unhappy with her approach. He felt like she was hitting on him and she was trying to write a book about him and shit. And I got fucked. I never talked about it because, you know, I'm a good guy. You know, uh, fucking uh, a real dude. You know, I don't talk about shit. Because it'll take away from... And, and as, I, as I talk about it, right? Fuck. Cut this music. I should have reached out to Jason and just been a friend to the man instead. But I felt he needed professional help because I sensed he felt justified in the actions that sent Jason Vukovic. I hope you remember this story. The, you know, the Alaskan Avenger. It, his acts of, of, of attacking pedophiles as a result of him being molested when he was a child and all that, and he felt kind of lost in life later on, his acts sent him to an Alaskan prison for the foreseeable future. And, and these Alaskan prisons, from what I've learned in speaking to Jason and his sister, uh, no, sorry, I haven't spoken to Jason, but to his sister, are, are nasty and unforgiving, and he's treated very poorly, um, especially since he's a bit of a celebrity thankfully jason's a huge dude and and a very strong guy and, and super intelligent and, and able to charm people over but he has a tough time i think about jason often almost every day when i wake up i'm like at least i'm not waking up in some fucking dungeon uh up in the sky on a mountain in alaska he's up there you know he's, it's not like he's underground he's like it's weird he's he's in the middle of fucking nowhere from what i've heard it um, the windows that he looks out of, all he sees is snow. And I think about him, man. Um, and I think about how I should have just reached out and been a friend to him. Instead, 
um, I felt like he needed professional help because I sensed he felt justified in the actions that sent him to to this place. And until he could see that the attacks he perpetrated were in the spirit of misguided vengeance and that his energy could have been spent in a positive realm, such as working with victims of crime or even just working on himself, I, you know, I, just, I wanted someone to help him grow. I wanted him to get out. And I realize now, you know, I think that Jason, he has grown. He has possibly grown to his pinnacle already. There was nothing I could do to help him. I think he's fucking stuck there. I think he's on his own. And I, and I will reach out. And reach out to Vukovic in any way you can. Sometimes our path leads to destruction and we try to make up for it with more destruction because it's all we know. I admire Jason Vukovic. And to a lesser degree, I admire Rocky Beeman too. They were fucked up and realized it. Realized that the best they could do with their destroyed mindset, their destroyed lives, was to destroy something worth destroying. Uh, and I admire it uh, more so with, with Jason than with Rocky because of what he did to Debbie Lacey. But, you know, there are so many people who talk the talk but don't walk the walk. And I believe extreme action in the spirit of righteousness deserves extreme reward. That possibly being an absolution of sin if the person in question truly committed their destruction in the spirit of selfless vengeance for another two weeks to pursue it. But if done with enjoyment, if done, you know, the destructive act is done under the guise of righteousness to fulfill a sadistic need or to serve as a bully's justified recreational harm as an attempt to fool a perceived God, then it's just more disgusting bullshit. And I don't sense that on Jason. I don't know Rocky. Rocky killed himself. It's what's in your heart. And only Rocky and Jason in this example, you know, and if got it, know the answer to their intentions. And I wish them both well over hell and hope that, um, and hope that the ultimatum that they put on themselves uh, paid off. Get right or get left. Rest in peace, Beth, Dog the Bounty Hunter's wife. Shout out, fucking uh, blowing the ending here. Anyways, I'm going to roll right into that. We'll do it. Listen, I, I, I'm losing it here at the end. I knew this guy, girl, boyfriend, sorry, of uh, my cousin when I was growing up. Um, he was an Irish guy, real mean fucker, like built like a swimmer, but um, uh, kind of a guy on the streets. And uh, we walked into 7-Eleven around midnight and he cleaned his shoes off on this Pakistani man's mop that he was mopping the 7-Eleven with <laughs> you know he walks up and he fucking wipes his shoes off on this mop and the Pakistani man he took it as disrespect and Marvin took it as disrespect the man took it as disrespect and they almost came to blows and Marvin would have fucking killed him um, but we stopped him from doing so and, you know, we went off, my cousin, myself, and Marvin, and we smoked. Uh, and Marvin, you know, he couldn't get over it. But the reality was, it was disrespect guised as respect. And I was only a skinny 18-year-old, and Marvin was a bastard. You know, he was a big boy, ripped. I said it all. My cousin, come on, man. People don't know what tough is when it comes to, like, this guy was a throwback. And... He was my cousin's boyfriend, so he heard me out. And he was older than me, and I was no threat to him. I'm, like I said, I'm a skinny 18-year-old. He's this big dude. And I spoke to him, and I told him he was wrong. And he eventually laughed and admitted as much. And he said to me, 
you know, we're laughing right now. He could have fucking laughed it off too, Jack. And I said, I believe he was fed up, you know, with something else, his lot in life. I mean, picture it, Marvin. He, he's he's mopping a floor at midnight at 7-Eleven in another country other than his and probably been treated like shit in this fucking shitty neighborhood that we lived in. And uh, you came in and wiped your feet on his mop and you stared him down when you did it. Don't you remember that? And you were probably the last straw. And Marvin thought about that and said, I can respect that. He was ready to die and I was ready to kill, uh, you know, and I'm glad you two were there. I remember him saying, he was ready to die and I was ready to kill. It takes only one moment for a massive swing to happen in your life if you're a fucking maniac like Marvin or, or like Jason Vukovic or like Rocky. They say luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Your whole life can upswing from a moment of luck with that formula in mind, you know, preparation meaning opportunity, bad luck is when traumatized thinking, anger, bitterness being the preparation meets an opportunity to vent all that. And that same person willing to go bad, given the opportunity to scoop a kid off the street before a bus hits them, they'll act on that instead. You know, I guarantee it. Marvin would jump in front of a bus for a little kid. He would act heroically in the same sense, he will he will act unforgivably in a split-second scenario that struck, strikes him as a good idea uh, based, on his, based on his energy at the time. And I'm rambling. Also, I'm desperately trying to stay connected to the Marvins, the Vukoviches, and even the Rocky Beemans because uh, I think they're special. They're different from what is usual, which is the uh, definition of special. Being different from what is usual... And I'll take my chances on people like that any day. In this game of life that so many people play close to the vest and cheat at, give me a maniac with good intentions over a coward with no intention. Other than to self-preserve any day. I got some shoutouts here. Hey, Wednesday, thank you. High-level support at the Tier 25. Kelly Gonzalez, thank you. Kyle, thank you, man. Shane Passamone, thank you, man. John Quinnell. Thank you, John. Janice Grant. Thank you, Janice. Jeff McTavish. Thank you so much, Jeff. Corey Pierce. Thank you, Mr. Pierce. Nicole Person. You are a person to me. Thank you so much, Nicole. That's my uh, cousin's name, actually, that I just mentioned here. Her name was uh, Nicole. Danielle Kristen. Thank you so much, Danielle. And Ruth Levine. I had a friend named Ruth one time. She was fucking hilarious. God damn, she was a horn dog, though. Um, not not over me, over other guys. That's what we mostly joked about. Uh, anyways, that'll do it. And um, that was a monthly monster episode number five. For every fifth episode of the monthly monster, I'll release one publicly. I don't want these to die at the tier thirteen. I'm sorry, the thirteenth floor. And um, I hope you're all okay with that. I'll see you real soon with more. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Ice cock doors lock stay paranoid.